Welcome to the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast. My name is Joe. This week I'm sharing my interview with Rudy from Blackmagic Paint. On the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I share interviews every week with people living and working in the custom bike frame building world. It's about perspectives, it's about passion, it's about craft, and it's my goal to get you all excited about bike frame building. This week, I'm sharing my interview with Rudy from Black Magic Paint. They're, uh, they're out in Portland, Oregon, and uh, they do paint work on custom bicycles and some furniture and some other odds and ends. And uh, I was just really excited to get Rudy on the show for a number of reasons. First of all, Blackmagic Paint does some of the very best uh, bicycle paint work. So if you go to a show like uh, the North American Handmade Bike Show, NABS, or any of the others, or if you follow uh, you know, a lot of the top tier uh, fancy pants, custom bike frame builders, those beautiful multiple color wet paint paint jobs, uh, get done by a handful of different bike painting outfits, and one of them is uh, Black Magic Paint, and they do great work. And uh, I actually have the one of my bicycles that I ever got painted with such a uh, paint job. It has this uh, fade and three different colors, and I think it's gorgeous. And uh, and Rudy painted that; they did that for me, and uh, I really love it. And one of the big reasons that I wanted to have Rudy on this podcast is, um, you know, I know him and I've talked to him at NABS and, and uh, some other places and I followed his work for a couple of years. And what's interesting is that he was making bike frames. Uh, he's made about 30 bike frames prior to doing, a, a, well, this paint work now. He's been a painter actually for a lot longer, different kinds of paint work for decades uh, or, you know, 15 years or more. And so... Um, you know, he's got a lot of perspective about painting, a lot of experience about painting, and then also he's got a lot of perspective and experience about bike frame building. He's seen it from like the perspective of riding bikes and wanting to get into it. He's done it then as like an amateur and as a, uh, you know, someone who's, he's done it more times than I have. And then uh, he went into paint work and now he gets to see all these different bikes that all these different people send him. And uh, it's interesting to hear him say that they actually get a lot of broken bikes come through the door every year and they get a lot of stuff that really needs work. And then at the same time, they're getting some of the most uh, refined and dialed bikes coming out of a shop like, you know, in Steamboat Springs, you have Moots and they're making these gorgeous bikes and the people who finish well and who miter, that's like all they do every day. These bikes are so dialed. And so to be painting such a variety of bikes uh, really gives you a lot of perspective about what's out there, what's capable, what the shortcomings are when you cut corners. You don't have a lot of experience. And uh, it was really cool to talk to him about that. And so this interview ran real long. And I thought about trimming parts of it down. But, you know, every little bit of it has some value. And uh, a couple people have told me about the previous episodes that they enjoyed the length and they didn't they didn't want it to end when it did, so I'm trying a longer one. Uh, let me know if you think it's way too long or boring or something, and um, that maybe will will influence how the show is made in the future. Uh, hopefully, you get some real value about 
valuable out of all the different segments. Um, we talked some about, you know, his work as a frame builder, about paint, about how to make your painter's life easier. We talk uh, later on about his motorcycle accident a couple years ago where uh, he basically has uh, lost the use of his right arm and had to relearn how to paint bikes and has had to manage and continue to run his business in spite of that. And I think that's a really cool part of his story. All the work that he does is just gorgeous. And so you owe it to yourself, to, if you're not familiar with his work, to go to blackmagicpaint.com or search for blackmagicpaint on Instagram uh, and, and follow there. And there's a lot of image galleries on the website of just beautiful, beautiful paint. This week's episode is brought to you by Cobra Frames. That's me. That's my business. And I, I, I produce this content, these YouTube videos and the podcast uh, because I love doing it and because I want to serve this community in a helpful and informational way. And I also make and sell tools to people who make bike frames. I make a, a clamp that you use for brazing, brazons, you know, cable guides. I make uh, mitering tools that help you hold the tubes on your milling machine while you're mitering and cutting them to fit against each other. The crown jewel of my tools is the tube bender, and this thing allows you to do all of the tube bending that most bike frames require, which is tricky because the tubes are of a thin wall, they're usually of a relatively high tensile strength, and they want to kink and ripple, and so you need a bender that can support the tubing just the right way for smooth bends. You also want something that's easy to use, that's repeatable, uh, that's kind of foolproof, and that doesn't take up a lot of shop floor space. And, and it does those things, and what that really allows you to do, I think more meaningfully than just bending tubes, is it allows you to control your process. So you're not limited only to those tubes which are offered pre-bent from tubing suppliers, but you control everything. That allows you to put stuff just where you want it, just the way you want it, you can do it with different materials. Maybe you wanted to use a butted tube or uh, you know, something with a really heavy or really thin wall thickness. Uh, if you can physically bend it, you can put the bends wherever you want it. And this package allows you to do that. And I'm really proud of it. And I'm really proud of what it helps the small builder attain in their shop. So that's the sales pitch. And um, let's get into the interview. I know it's long, but ultimately I do think there's a lot of really valuable segments in our discussion. And if you like the show, I think you're going to love this episode. Yeah, so I, I worked, um, I've been in the paint industry for maybe 16 years now. Wow. Um, so, you know, when I was building frames, I, I was painting them. And then uh, I think it was 2000. 13 or 14 uh my partner and i we moved to boston uh or like right outside of boston where she's from i got a job at parley oh first i got a job at geek house and worked for marty for a while party marty and then also yeah i also worked at uh parley doing paint so with geek house i was just cutting tubes and uh like helping like with the setting up the fixturing and and uh you know doing whatever uh, needed to be done there. While I was also building brand Gold Coast, I was continuing to build frames under that name too. Mm -hmm. And then just doing custom paint at Parley. Yeah. And so you were doing mostly like steel and fillet braised uh, joint method, and then you were painting them yourself. Yeah. Um, we did one aluminum frame. I, uh, I, 
I cut all the tubes and had a, a friend weld it. Um, I traded him, I screen printed a bunch of t-shirts for his welding business. And then he just, he just welded it up real quick. Uh, but that was, that was the only aluminum frame we ever did. Yeah. That was and like then, a one-off. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was kind of wonky. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There was just some, some things like there were some things cool about it. And then also just, it was definitely a, a first, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I built maybe only 30 frames. Yeah, well, that's like twice as many as I've made. So I think we got started around the same time. I took a class in 2010, and, uh, and you know, you were figuring it out on your own. It seemed like you were, you were pushing through more than I was. Yeah, I've, I don't know. You're, I've, I've seen your frames, and they're probably a lot – they're definitely a lot nicer. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Like, uh, I, yeah, I don't know, but, uh, you know, I'm trying. Um, yeah, I mean, I think going from, like, you know, building frames, and now I see everybody else's frames, like, in yeah. the raw. Yeah, intimately. You're, like, uh, very yeah. aware I of the details. I realize that a lot, of my friend, a lot of my frames, like, uh, they weren't, they weren't definitely, like, structurally, they were fine, but <laughs> there was definitely some, some wonky things with them. I mean, they're, they're, they're okay. You know, I think if I were to be able to weld now, I would definitely try to do them a lot better mm -hmm. knowing what I know now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how did you get interested in painting the bikes? Like you were doing that from the beginning with your bikes because you had paint background prior to uh, frame building even. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I grew up painting model airplanes and, and, boats and stuff like that and uh you know i got an airbrush when i was i don't know maybe nine uh as a nine-year-old really i mean it, i used it a bit and then it got clogged and nine-year-olds don't know how to work with airbrushes so that got messed up quick <laughs> but um then uh you know when i graduated like i used to paint my bmx bike and i would go to the automotive paint store and get like nice paint in a rattle can yeah that doesn't count we we you know we used to do graffiti. And then, uh, when I graduated high school, I instantly started working for my dad. Who's been a painter since, you know, early seventies. This is like more automotive or, uh, he did more of like, uh, cabinets and houses gotcha. and that kind of stuff. Um, and like furniture and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I, I moved to Santa Barbara, worked for a couple of different painting contractors there that like doing more like a uh, industrial type stuff and houses and commercial type stuff as well. Um, just cause there's, that's a job. And, um, you know, just when I started building frames, I had already used HVLP equipment and automotive materials and like, uh, a lot of really like nasty sticky industrial stuff so going to spray automotive um on bikes was pretty much the same thing as like you know you spray a bunch of tubes in a lab or you spray a bunch of handrails it's pretty much the same thing mm -hmm. um just maybe scrutinized a little bit closer yeah yeah definitely <laughs> but uh yeah so i you know i would go and my friend um my friend's dad would let me use his spray booth. He just gave me a key 
and it was just like, don't burn the place down. Wow. You know, and it was cool because there was like a, he had a huge like stripping tank. And, uh, I mean, it was a, it was a booth where they sprayed pianos mostly. Wow. Um, yeah. So Viscara, uh, refinishing down there and yeah. So I would go in with like three bikes at a time. Um, the only problem was I didn't have a sandblaster, so I would take it to people to sandblast, which I never recommend um, just because, like, they miss spots or they, like, I never had anybody blast through anything, but I don't know. I don't trust anybody else to sandblast stuff unless they know what they, like, if yeah. they're the people that sandblast, like, machinery, mm-hmm. probably don't take it to them. So you, but, wh- um, when you do paint work you are using a media blast method to prepare it, but um, you wouldn't, you're saying you wouldn't suggest having any random person do that for the bike that then you're going to hand off to a painter. Like the person who no. you would recommend the person who is painting the bike and who regularly paints bike, like they're probably the most qualified to sandblast uh, a, a frame for paint. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't remember where I got the, like where I think maybe Stinner was using that guy once or twice to sandblast it. Maybe that's why I went to that guy. Um, like when Stinner was in, uh, he was, he had a paint booth at his house. And so he was, but I don't think he had a sandblaster at the time. Now they've got a whole setup. But yeah. Yeah. They've got an operation. Yeah, I mean, when, they do a lot of, a lot of stuff through there. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've worked there. I worked there for a week when I moved from Boston, I went down there and oh, cool. uh, painted a bunch of frames for them. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, when we do frames, like it depends on what it is. And like, we mostly use the same media for stuff that's getting wet paint. Um, and then it, you know, like there's been a bunch of tests done of like what works best for like the primer and like, uh, just like what's best for adhesion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, you know, we're pretty focused on that type of stuff. And then, you know, with, with like titanium frames, they all, we all do a, like an ultrasonic cleaner. Like we clean them thoroughly. Um, we get a lot of frames that are untreated from like, like moots. Like we paint a lot of moots frames mm-hmm. and they, they won't, um, they won't treat them because most titanium frames come and they're really greasy because uh, titanium tr- frames are usually treated with uh, some sort of uh, furniture polish type thing or, or some, some, something that kind of like seals up the pores a little. Yeah. Um, everybody uses different stuff, but uh, that will make it so paint will not stick at all. Um, so you have to really clean it. Like we clean it before we put in the sonic cleaner. Like we clean it with multiple solutions. Mm-hmm. put it in sonic cleaner and then take it out, clean it again, uh, dry everything off, um, you know, by hand with, uh, with like heat guns, make sure like nothing is like kind of pooling up. And then, uh, yeah. And then we'll put it in the oven, make sure, like make sure nothing gets, I don't know, no moisture. Yeah. But, yeah. Titanium, titanium is nice because it's really clean because there's no rust but if it comes if it comes with the grease on it it's awful 
Yeah. Um, so, and that that's typically bikes that have been assembled and ridden and you're like respraying them or is that like directly from production that come that way sometimes? I mean, all the type, like all the production frames that come from like, even if they're brand new frames, if, if a company's sending out a frame that's titanium, they're usually treating it with something. I see. And that treatment is a contaminant for paint. Oh no. So, you know, we have to get rid of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then when we're done with the frame, we treat it with the same type uh, treatment. Like, it depends on the company. We'll, we'll usually ask them what it is, so we treat it the same mm-hmm. as what they use. Yeah. But most everybody uses the same exact thing. Wow. Do you, uh, w- uh, when you have frames in, uh, you know, similar, like, you know, steel brazed stuff as to what you used to do, is there ever uh, like value added, like you guys are, you know, fixing a braze on that, you know, or something, or do, do you send that stuff out or do you not touch that stuff? Like when that comes up uh, because of your background with, you know, frame building stuff, is that, is that something that you still do at all for customers? Um, I don't, I don't weld anymore. I, it's dangerous for me to hold a torch and hold silver with one arm. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really mess with that. We we're in the same building as Ty Cycles and Dave Levy is, he's a master. I mean, he's got like Ty Cycles has been in business for something, what, like 35 years. Mm-hmm. So, or I mean, he's been building frames for over 35 years and he definitely has the experience. Um, so we, we just, we seriously walk, walk through the, like the, the machine shop and hand it to him. He deals with it usually like same day, kind of awesome. That's great. And then, uh, and then we get it back, you know, and, uh, I guess like for me, like being a, being somebody who was kind of a frame builder, um, I, I like look through all the frames. Uh, we get frames that are new. We get frames that are old. We get, we get so many broken frames sent to us all the time. <laughs> um, whether they're new or old, it doesn't even matter. Like we get newer builders that are, figuring it out like we've had frames show up where both chain stays or no it was both seat stays were cracked like where if that person would have wrote it you know for a month the whole thing would have broke so you know both chain stay or both seat stays had to be replaced and that's that's a bummer because we caught that kind of after it had been primed we're like oh hey why is why is uh why is there this gap right here? Yeah. But, um, you know, like it's, you'd be surprised, I guess. Uh, yeah. Like I'm able to notice that stuff because of the background in like knowing all the mistakes that I made. Yeah. And also, you know, we get, we probably get about maybe something like seven to 10 bikes a year that are broken. Wow. Like there was a couple of months where like, people would just bring every type of bike and it was just like, yo, this is cracked. This is cracked. Your fork's broken. You know, (laughs) a lot of carbon fiber. Um, I mean, there were people bringing us brand new carbon fiber frames that they had got like, uh, you know, they were imported and they, uh, you know, I'm like, Hey, both, both of your chain stays are, are cracked. So, I don't know. That's a bummer too. Yeah. Well, so and that's the kind of thing. That. It happens with everything. If you're bringing your bike to the local powder coat 
guy or if you're bringing your bike to some like automotive shop and you say hey next time you're painting a red car just you know paint my frame or whatever you know some people working out a deal to try and get stuff painted on the cheap and uh you know you got to do what you got to do but um they're not going to catch that stuff they're not going to know what to look for and they're not going to give you a call and say well this is the bad news but i got this guy across the hall that can fix it for you and we can get it painted this week do you want to do that you know like you're not gonna what what I they're mean, gonna do could, is there could be some oh go ahead. What they're gonna do is they're gonna paint it and send it to you and it's gonna hide the, the problem and then you're gonna put your logo on it or whatever and then you're gonna ship it out the door and your customer is gonna be complaining later after you've assembled it, after you're on to other projects and after you've paid for the paint job. So it's like, you know, to have someone part of your process who can catch that kind of stuff and address it on the fly seems like a really valuable part of the, the chain. I also think that taking your stuff to a powder coater that doesn't specialize in bites or tight, tight corners. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good luck having like, good luck having it not be terrible because yeah. if a, if a person knows bikes, like that's not a problem, but um, you know, with the, with the static buildup or like, there's just always these little spots, like especially in like the rear triangle, Mm-hmm. Where both uh, where both seat stays meet, there's always going to be this little like gap that doesn't get any powder on it, you know. Yeah. And like most most just like blow and go shops won't catch that, and yep. that's kind of unfortunate. Yeah. And I mean, I like I powder coat, and like it it's hard to get that spot, and yeah. like that's somebody focusing on trying to get that Mm -hmm. yeah you know exactly what you're looking for you know that like most of it's a breeze or whatever but this one spot like that's what i really gotta i gotta you know your eyes all eyes are on that and still it's difficult i got a frame powder coated by another person once it was when i was moving from massachusetts or moving to massachusetts from santa barbara and i was i was like i'm gonna get this frame powder coated and do wet paint on top, which is a, a thing that I like to do. Um, and uh, I took it to this place that was like, oh, yeah, we specialize. We do all the forts for all these BMX companies, like uh, like race BMX, like what was it, like Answer or Marcosi or, or like, I don't know. It was it was some, they, they were like, oh, yeah, we're really good with bikes. I get the frame back. It's covered in runs. It's covered in holidays. They powder coated the steer tube. <laughs> they powder coated inside of the bottom bracket, wow. inside of every hole. Yeah. And I was just like, I was like, oh, cool. Like, this is, uh, this, this is ruined. Yeah. Um, the amount so, of time it would take like, to clean that all out again. Yeah. Yeah. And it would have been one of those things where I could have painted my graphics, cleared it, and then gave it to this customer who was waiting patiently for his bike. But instead, I had to just like, be like, I can't touch this until after I get settled in Massachusetts. So, you know, Marty and I went and took it to the guy that strips Harley Davidson stuff. And he, uh, I got it back stripped and then, you know, Marty and I repowder coated it and then I did the wet paint on it and then I had to ship it. And then I shipped it like, uh, you know, I asked one of the guys at work, I was like, Hey, I'll buy you Chipotle if you, if you ship this bike for me, but it was a complete bike and he shipped it with the, the brake rotor touching <laughs> touching this the seat stay yeah so it gets to los angeles oh, and man. uh woody from golden saddle is like hey like this here let me send you these pictures i was like great 
That's a nightmare. So Joe Bell fixed it for me because he's an angel. <laughs> so you have and, like uh, three times as much uh, struggle and money and time into the paint on that bike as you do into anything else. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know if you, you remember. Know, Joe Bell had the same had the same pearl because it w- it wasn't just one color. Why would yeah. I do that? <laughs> uh you know i i had one bike that i sent to you guys to have painted all the bikes that i ever made i did have powder coated and in fact it was the case i went to two different people and you know they were kind of not they were hacks but like they didn't specialize in bikes for powder coat and there was this one guy that i found he was like 50 miles from me so there's this whole you know it's like two hours there and back one day to drop it off and then later in the week he had pretty good turnaround time, but like later in the week, it was two hours to go and pick it up again. And, uh, and it wasn't the cheapest work ever, but it was plenty cheap. I guess it was like 150 bucks for frame and fork for powder. Um, but anyway, he was always responsive with the phone and he did good work there. Were, you know, he didn't miss spots. He masked off the stuff that I told him to mask off. And like, I just knew that if I took it to him, it was going to be a lot easier than like dealing with somebody else. And so like, so I would do that. There were people in town that I didn't really trust or they had dented something or like one place I had made a custom stem and I, they, I bring it in to drop it off and they say, yeah, just leave that stuff on this pallet. And uh, so like oh, the, no. the stem had a removable faceplate and I'm like, you sure we don't want to like put this in a bag or like zip tie things together? And they're like, no, it'll be fine. They take like two weeks and they still haven't called me. And I, I show up the one day because my friend who also got bikes powder coated there, he says, uh, yeah, I saw your bike. It's finished. So I go in even though they never called me and they say, yeah, we lost that little piece of your stem. And that's why they never called me is because they didn't have an answer. They didn't have, they were afraid to admit they lost it or something. It's this whole thing. So anyway, why like they just, why didn't they just call you to tell you? And then you'd think pay for a new faceplate for the stem. Yeah. And it was something I had made and it was like an irregular oh, bolt pattern. Mind. Like I had brazed it together with the four. I used like, Anyway, it was this custom thing where I, I didn't really have the capacity to remake the faceplate. So I still have the stem with powder coat with no faceplate kicking around my shop. And the guy I made the bike for has like a normal stem. <laughs> uh, anyway. unfortunate. Yeah. So it's just like experiences like that will drive you to go pretty far out of your way to avoid that kind of thing again. Even though it's a pain, I took like 10 trips over the next couple years to this place that was an hour drive from me just because I knew it was easier to do that trip twice and to pay really not a bad price, but like it, it was easier to do that than it was to try anybody new. And so anyway, I did that for a while and he did a pretty good job and I was mostly pretty happy with him. Um, but it, it was only like one of the most recent bikes that I made that I really wanted it to, to be like a, a notch higher up, you know, like a little bit more finished and uh something well quite a bit more finished something i really be proud of and used as like a you know something like like a display piece for my brand and stuff and uh so i sent it to you guys and uh i guess the point of this story was i was going to say that i don't know if you remember but i spent quite a while boxing that up i i started with a box that was like the right size for a frame and then i got real creative about like i, I machined some spacers and stuff so that the the seat post and or the seat tube and the dropouts and everything would be reinforced, and then I did this thing like people do in like logistics, where I cut pieces of cardboard to reinforce the the box from getting crushed. And I was so proud of the way that I packed it up. But you know, whenever you do that, whenever you pack something up carefully, you realize it's a really big job. And I'm sure you see that all the time. Like the difference between somebody who sends bikes everywhere all the time, they probably have systems. 
and they have consumables on hand to quickly pack a bike. And then you have other people who just kind of throw it in a box and hope for the best. And, uh, you know, when that most people don't care, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and then it's on you to either, you know, now you have to have a conversation with them. Yeah. I got dented or something. And then when you send it back, you can't just send it back the way that it came or they'll run into problems. And so now you're, you're trying to engineer these solutions all the time for how to fit it back in the box it came from. I'm sure you're very good at that by now, but you know, for someone who's unfamiliar, there's a lot of time that goes into that. If you don't have the materials handy. I remember the day that I got your bike because I sent you a picture being like, Oh my God, I wish everybody packed their bike like this because <laughs> I had instructions was, for how was, to repack the box. <laughs> oh, I remember. I remember it was, it was brilliant because we, we get people send us bikes in like some clapped out Kona box that they got from their local bike shop. And like the both dropouts are hanging out and all scratched up from like, getting thrown like ups fedex yeah. they do not care like i i mean we we've, we've had bikes just like totally trashed hanging out of the box and like no reinforce no reinforcement in between the dropouts and it's like yeah it's like okay cool and then that box gets recycled not reused because it's a piece of garbage <laughs> um and we have our own I, I mean, I want to reuse boxes as much yeah. as possible, yeah. but like if people are sending like something that like yeah. you'd only use to like catch oil under your truck, like, I don't know, it's yeah. not really uh, something you want to send a finished product back in. So we have our own custom boxes that have like a, a fork holder and we have all of these, you know, we got a custom size made that works with most frames. Um, if we need a bigger box, it's, it's easy for us to get in Portland because there's a lot of bike shops that we're friends with. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll get a good box. Yeah. And making like when we pack stuff, like we we pack it like insane people, but we also keep it light too. Yeah. Um, but you know the biggest mistake that a lot of people make with a finished frame is wrapping it in like bubble wrap. Like I would never put bubble wrap on paint. Yeah. Um, if if it goes into a hot anything, it'll mess it all up, leave little marks on it. You talk to anybody who's worked uh, that's done paint and or like even people that get painted bikes. Yeah, don't do that. Always use peanut foam. Peanut like foam. Always use good, clean peanut foam. Yeah. Now, is that is that something because uh, in the first like week or so after the paint, it's like still setting up and off gassing a little bit or is that not related to that? I mean, it'll off gas for a while, you know, like very, very little, like we cure all of our frames in the, in an oven, um, you know, based on whatever material we're using, we, we do it to that temperature that's required, but you know, frames will still, they'll still be off gassing. And also like, if you put, there's just bad things that can happen. So like anything to avoid any like bad little thing like that, Yeah, you know, it doesn't cost like peanut foam. It's super cheap. You can reuse it. You know, like a lot of our boxes, like we send boxes to, to Gallus Cycles and, and uh, Denver. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had those boxes come back and forth multiple times. Yeah. I mean, I need to start putting little like tally marks on these boxes because <laughs> we, we got them and they're, they're strong and they've lasted. I mean, we've been in business for four years, yeah. you know, uh, four years this summer and we'll have these boxes coming back and forth and i i love it because 
I don't really want to waste stuff, you yeah. know, like avoid it if we can. Yeah. And that's, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, that's something I've noticed a lot in the last year. I mean, I already sort of knew this, but um, with my products that I make and ship, you can spend a ridiculous amount of time custom packaging something with like cardboard boxes and tape and stuff that you have around. And even after you spend like half an hour or an hour or whatever it takes to like get something so that it won't get damaged in transit, it looks like a turd. It weighs so much more than it would have to. And it's like still probably not as well protected as like if you have the right supplies from the start and you know how you're going to put this thing in there. Uh, you know, bike frames are more or less a similar size, you know, most of them. And like the parts that I make, they're, you know, they're like, they're the same part over and over again. And so like, you know, you can, you can pick up packaging that specifically uh, meets those needs. And the same thing would be true if you're a frame builder and you're shipping finished bikes out the door, you know, you can get bike boxes. Um, you know, there's like, there's solutions for that sort of stuff. And uh, it's just always surprises me. I remember I have this tool called the Miter Daddy, and I released that in like February, I think. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, when I when I first shipped that, I had like 15 or so that were going out in one day. And so I get up in the morning, and I had all these orders, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna ship these, and then you know I'll drop them off like on my way to my shop, and then this and that, and I'm thinking it's gonna take like maybe an hour or two. And I swear I was pretty diligent, and I was not distracted. It took me most of the day to get like like 15 or 20 boxes loaded up so that these parts would make it across the country without really getting damaged. And um, you realize that like some packing materials, like, you know, like brown paper that I had saved, that's much heavier when you're using it to fill void space in a box than is, are yeah. those, those big paper or those big plastic bubbles or like packing peanuts. It doesn't seem like that much of a weight difference when you have just a little bit of it. But if you have like I use a, a USPS priority mail a lot because the rate is good and it's quick and there's tracking. And if you have a medium flat oh, rate yeah. box and uh, your part is too big to fit in the small flat rate box, so you put it in the medium flat rate box and now you have all this void space. In order to create good fill for void space on like 20 boxes, if you don't have one of those rolls of like the big bubbles, you can spend so much time and then your packages are all heavy, which I guess these are flat rates, so it doesn't matter. But anyway... Uh, there's just a lot to it, you know, like uh, ship, shipping and packaging your item uh, as a frame builder or as a painter or whatever, it's it's a big job and I think it requires more thought than a lot of people immediately realize or put into it. And if you're doing this on a regular basis, you know, it kind of comes back to you. Like if you plan ahead a little bit and you have that stuff on hand, uh, man, it can save you a lot of time. We uh, we usually send pictures back and forth with other painters like uh, Jordan Lowe <laughs> or like other people. Yeah. Like when we get box, when we get bikes that are shipped in the most ridiculous stuff, <laughs> like, you know, people will ship bikes. They just it tape. It looks like they, they just like empty a paper shredder in there, yeah. you know, or they'll, it's like, I swear I'm like surprised sometimes that there's not like banana peels in there <laughs> and like coffee cups. No, it's like Actually, the way I that have, like, uh, coffee cups in there. Somebody just like, just puts an adhesive back label on the frame itself. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, we see the stuff that gets sent to tie cycles too. That's definitely like happened where you get a thing that's just like, like wrapped in like, like bubble wrap and duct tape. And you're like, <laughs> it's like a, like a cartoon, like Christmas, uh, like where you're like, Oh, I wonder what that is. And it's obviously a bike, you know, yeah, yeah. just like wrapped <laughs> terribly. That's funny. I know exactly what you mean. Um, yeah. Like the outline of it is still clearly visible. Um, what else was, uh, I had the list here. 
you know, when I, I did an interview that I lost, and I'm really sad that I lost it, but I, I'll, I'll do one again with Brian Hollingsworth from Royal H Cycles. And you know Brian, and I know Brian. We've known him for a while, and I, I really like him. Uh, but I did an interview with him, and I was talking to him about how, you know, with his bikes, a lot of uh, what I see with his bikes is, you know, it's beautiful sort of classic, sometimes more modern classic, uh, you know, art- artistry with the construction of it. And then almost all of his bikes have nice paint. You know, some of them it's flashier than others, but just all of his bikes have really nice paint. And I was asking him, you know, like when you're, when you're thinking about a relationship with a frame painter, what is that thing uh, that gets you... Like, like, like what makes that relationship work or what is it that you're looking for in a frame painter? And what he said kind of surprised me. He was saying like his favorite thing in a frame painter is that he wants someone who can be excited, you know, like someone who can get excited about the project because he's poured so much time and so much passion into like making the frame and like finishing the fabrication that he's almost like he's over it by that point. Yeah. He's like kind of like tired of looking at it and he's like, okay, like I'm going to, I'm going to be happy to give this to a customer. I'm like really proud that I made it, but like right now I need a break from it. And to be able to hand it to a painter who's enthusiastic and who has good creative ideas about where to take it to, to like finish it, you know, to like finalize the thing is like really valuable. I never really considered that. And, um, I don't know. I just like, I guess I'm always interested in with frame builders, you know, is your role that you just provide a product or is it that you provide more of a service, you know, like the handholding and the education and like the customer service talking, you know, a bunch of emails and phone calls and stuff. And for you then, you know, when you're working with frame builders, I mean, how much of the process do you think is uh, like the value that you really add and what you're really transacting with your customers? How much of it is just the painted bike and how much of it is like, you know, the rest of it? Because for me, I think a lot of it is, well, yeah, that's, that's what I would say. I think a lot of it's the rest of it. I would say with Black Magic, I mean, because Black Magic is is three people. There's two of us that are the owners, me and Ben Corbalis, and he does all the customer service side. Like he, if you talk to somebody on the phone, it's usually him. Emails, it's with him. He does, you know, all the shipping and billing mm-hmm. and all that type of stuff. Um, and he, you know, he also works with other bike companies in the U.S. like for them. Um, but you know, like with black magic like i almost always do unless the person really just wants a single color paint job i always do a computer render of what the bike is going to look like when it's done uh, we get people that send us stuff where they're like i want it this many millimeters from this part you know and i want you know they send us everything written out exactly the way that they want it and we yeah. do it that way um and then you know the computer renders are, are crucial because uh, a lot of times people have this idea in their head and they don't, they're not able to express it. They're not able to be like, Oh, like I'm going to tell you to do whatever you want. And then I'm going to be like, Oh, I don't like it when I'm done. And like, <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. And we had had that happen multiple times where they're like, Oh, you have carte blanche, do whatever. And then it ended up with like, you know, people all teary eyed. And so, you know, we don't, we don't want that. So now we do computer render for everything. If they want it changed, we change it. You know, they get three. And then after, after a certain point, we have to start charging for all the design time. But mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time in front of a computer drawing up renders for people because they, you know, they're spending, they're spending money and they want it to be perfect yep. and they want it to be perfectly their way. 
So, you know, I'm happy to do that. Yeah. So, well, know. and I remember with my bike, I had an idea of what I wanted. Um, and, and for folks who haven't seen this bike, I did a YouTube video about it and it's, uh, it's, uh, I think it's like the best bike I ever made or the bike that I'm most proud of. If you are listening to this podcast on my website, I will uh, link in the caption pictures of it because I think it's gorgeous and I'm really happy with what you guys did with it. But when I made this bike and I shipped it off to you guys, uh, I knew that I wanted a fade and I knew that I wanted it to have like some orange and some red and something like that, kind of like a fiery kind of thing. And I didn't have all the details worked out. And then, uh, you know, emailing with, with Ben or maybe also with you, I forget exactly, but uh, somewhere, someone was suggesting a slight departure from my idea, which was instead of like, you know, like an orange and a red, like a, it was like sort of like a root beer metallic and an orange. And I was like, hmm. And then you guys suggested like a sort of like a baby blue color for the graphics that got painted on where it says the Cobra and stuff. And I was like, huh, never would have thought of that. And I was like, sure, whatever. And And you guys did it. And I love it. I think it's great. Uh, it, you know, like I wouldn't. I would have just assumed for the for the logos and stuff, some sort of like, you know, monochrome, like a gray or a white or something. But now that it's finished, I'm like, this is obviously better. And uh, I think that's a lot of what you're paying for when you're working with a painter is like someone who's going to have more vision and more ideas than what you could bring to the table. And someone who's been through the process a thousand times and they can notice things, you know, like uh, easy improvements or, you know, possible like, oh, you know, that's actually not going to have as much contrast as you think. And it's going to be hard to see you know, the lettering or whatever it is. Um, I don't know, I guess having only been through that process one time doesn't give me a lot of experience, but I was really glad that uh, I was working with people who had like a sense of, you know, what looks good on a bike and what doesn't. Yeah. I think with your bike, it wound up being like two of my favorite colors that exist. Um, the Brown is actually a color match that I spent years trying to get for, um, this 1978 BMW motorcycle that I wrecked. And, uh, you know, I had, <laughs> I love that color. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite colors ever. It's called Havana gold. Oh, wow. and, um, now I know the name. So yeah. like we could, we couldn't get the color mixed right in, uh, the material that we wanted. Uh, so we had, we spent a lot of time working with our paint supplier to get that right. And then the, the orangish red, it's, we, we call it Canyon red. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that color is beautiful. That like, I mean, I've done, I've done that color on so many good show bikes, like bikes that people love. Like we did a bike for Bernsia oddity, mm -hmm. used that color. We did a bike that we did for moots and like it had all the SRAM stuff at nabs this last year, had that color on it. Um, I did a Pegaretti with that color on it. Wow. Like that was at NABS too. I think every single NABS, we bring something with that color on it. Yeah. Because, because we love it. It's got yeah. a really good pearl. You can't actually get that color mixed in um, most like standard paints. Like we've tried, but we can really only get it in the one company that makes it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Your bike, your bike was cool because it came really clean. Like we get, we get a lot of really dirty bikes that, um, take a lot of work to clean up. Yeah. And, uh, it's nice. It's nice to get something that's clean. I think that's <laughs> one of the reasons we like titanium bikes too. But. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I took pictures before I sent it out and I, uh, I shoe shined a bunch of it with like Scotch bright and stuff to try and just, uh, make it, you know, look good for those photos. Cause 
my idea with that bike was, you know, I had been kind of figuring out frame building as a hobbyist for a long time. And I always had aspirations for it to be more than a hobby. And, uh, and I just felt like, you know, a lot of, I, I was self-aware enough to know that a lot of what I was building was, um, you know, it was good learning and it was, you know, for people who are interested in frame building, they would see it and they say, Oh, that's pretty cool. But like, if you were actually a customer of a high end bike you would need to have some imagination because you would look at the bikes, like sort of my portfolio of work and you would see stuff that had like, you know, used and beat up parts on it. And it would be like powder coated, some like drab solid color, which I think is cool looking, but you know, it's just like really simple, basic bikes. It was like almost like the aesthetic of like a Surly or something. It was just like the subtlety was more refined and it wasn't built out of like way heavier tubing than it needed to be built out of. But like, it was just sort of like a, I liked that um, not super flashy thing, but I realized that like that maybe doesn't always grab the attention of people and like it would require someone's imagination to like imagine it with nicer parts and stuff. So this bike for me was uh, an opportunity to create something that actually was more like what I hoped I would be able to sell to people. And, um, and so like, that's why I wanted to take those pictures of the frame set was that like I was trying to create as much like content from that build as I could. Yeah, it's uh I mean it's it's crazy how much like having having like everything match like helps and like having all brand new parts on it cuz like yeah. I built a bu- I built a bunch of bikes that would always just get like clapped out, scratched, just like ugly parts and it was always kind of embarrassing because you're like, "Oh, I spent, you know, a good like good amount of time like building this frame and now i've got like you know some like scratched up thompson stem that's like all faded or something you know just like mm-hmm. i don't know it, it's kind of a bummer i built a i built a frame for them to raffle off for a fundraiser for uh santa barbara bike coalition mm-hmm. or, or bc central i forget what it was and we did like kieran flake with like all of these like uh ocean creatures and like a lighthouse and all this stuff on it. Wow. And it was like a really cool cyclocross bike. And then when they got it, they put a stem with like, like a crazy, like long neck, like shooting up stem. Like (laughs) they put, they put on like a derailleur that looked like it had been in a a wreck, like for real. Yeah. And they put all these like super scratch, like ugly parts on it. And I almost want to be like, Hey, like this is, this is embarrassing. Like you, Like I, I spent actual time on this. Like you, you don't have to put like stuff that you pulled out of a dumpster on there. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Like, I think one of the things about that is like, I don't have good pictures of any of those frames cause I was embarrassed about them because they had crappy parts on them. Yeah. And it almost, it almost feels like sometimes you should just have like clean parts that you have set aside. Yeah. You know? Well, I notice. uh, at some point in the past, I remember looking at like image galleries on your website like a year ago or something and noticing that you have like, well, don't you have like Chris King headset around that you'll like throw into a frame for photos or something? We have, we have a couple of Chris King headsets that we've had, uh, we've had like shape, like we've had, we put them in a lathe and like yeah. shaved off. Uh, I think Patrick who used to be the product or production manager at Speedwagon, he did that for us. And so now we have these, these dummy headsets that we drop into every single frame. Yeah. But they look, we have a couple they look of blingy. ones and they a couple don't of black like, ones. Yeah. I have a dummy headset yeah, that I made, but it's just like, you know, unanodized. 
aluminum and it looks okay but you know it's like uh if you're i think that's a really good tip that like whatever you're doing you know like firefly is is really i think well known for like documenting every build that they do beautifully uh with with good photos and whether you're making bikes or whether you're you know painting stuff or like with what i'm doing like everything you do should be documented well and if you're routinely doing something you know like yeah make like a dummy headset or something that looks especially good or like you know get a good stand or something i think that's like a really smart uh thing to do because you're doing that all the time i uh i always took pictures just with my phone um or like before i had a phone i would just take it with this like crappy like one like camera that i had mm-hmm. and my twin brother's a photographer and he works with like sportswear companies and whatnot and does like a lot of really cool stuff and he would always get so pissed at me he said he said dude your pictures are awful like you need to stop taking pictures of your like bikes up against like your your dirty ass floor just (laughs) get get a backdrop and like start taking good pictures so you know when i started black magic um you know like ben ben got a camera and a tripod and light set and set up like a really nice photo booth. Yeah. And so he takes most of the, he takes most of the pictures up. He takes all the pictures up against the white background that we have. Mm -hmm. And I, I take all the pictures like in the shop or up against this cement wall that is like in, in like our, you know, our shops like pretty much built into a bunker. So we've got these cement walls Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. So like I started doing a better job and then my brother stopped getting mad at me. But <laughs> I think having pictures is really crucial because now when customers hit us up, they will send us a link to a gallery of ours. They're like, Hey, I want this, you know, I want this DeRosa to look like this Pegaretti or they'll be like, Oh, I want this open to look like this Cannondale that you did. Mm-hmm. And we're like, we're like, okay, cool. But we also like never copy paint jobs unless it's just straight colors yeah like people will be like oh hey i want this open to look like this other open that this dude in spain did and i'll be like yeah i can do it like that but i'm not going to copy it i'm going to yeah. change it up because like i'm not going to go Cram- know, cramping like, your other we, customer style our, yeah like we've had our stuff copied so many times where i don't even care anymore it's just stupid and uh, it's not worth it to like get bothered by but Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I don't want to do that to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we, we try to avoid it. See, that's what you say. And then next week I'm going to see like 10, uh, 10 ripoffs of my paint scheme on my bike, just <laughs> floating around on the web. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody's gonna like, I I think that that works with that bike, but it, it would be, I don't know. I don't think it would work for every bike. Yeah. Um, but, one of the questions I had written down that I think uh, is really interesting to me and, you know, frame builders like talking about this subject and I think people have, you know, very different opinions about it, which is like when you go to a show like NABS, it can feel sometimes like more of a custom paint show than it is a custom bike show. You know, some people are kind of jaded about this. Uh, other people say like, yeah, that's just the way it is. But like, you know, I, I got into custom bikes because I love beautiful bikes and the paint is obviously part of that. So I think not everybody has like a negative association with that, but for better or worse, paint is a really big deal to what we do as, as frame builders, you know, especially if you're trying to sell it. Um, you know, some people are purely into frame building because they're pursuing like design and performance and geometry and like, they'll just, you know, 
they'll just get it powder coated or something and like whatever. Uh, but, but, you know, for a lot of us, I mean, you want it to look good at the end of the day, even as driven as you might be about the performance and the fabrication and, and the customer service, like you also need it to look good. Um, anyway, so I just want to ask you, like, what do you think makes the paint job remarkable or like stand out? Like, you know, you, what do people notice? Like when you do, you know, pearls or flakes or multiple colors, or like, you know, if, if you had to distill down the qualities of a paint job on a bike that really make it something special like what what is that for you well i think what i think makes a bike special and what most other people think is completely different like i think that like precision and like good contrast and like color choices and like the the execution of it is very important and like the balance too like you you know sometimes people will put their logos like in in like totally weird kooky places where you're like like aesthetically that doesn't look right you know mm-hmm. it may look right when the frame's unbuilt but you got to think about the bike as a built thing that somebody's riding you know yeah and uh you know i think a lot of, a lot of times like people will really like bright bikes they like really bright colors whereas me like personally i like colors that are deep i like colors that are that are dark with like a good contrasting color Um, but like, you know, when I, when I go to nabs, like I, I really love to see the other people's stuff because by that time, you know, like I'm tired and because I've been working till 3am like every other day. So, you know, it's, it's cool to see other people's stuff. Um, it's also a bummer to see like really bad paint at a show like that because it's, it's a show. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, now it's more of like, it's not even like, I don't even think people like it's a, it's like a part show. It's like a trade show, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, paint, paint is there, but like, you, you know, I don't think people care about paint as much as like seeing like a new color anodized on an aluminum part. You know, mm-hmm. I think people are really excited about the stuff that they can, uh, that they, they, they can get, you know, like, I mean, you can get paint, but if you already have a bike that you like, you already have paint that you like, or you have a, a bike that you don't want painted, you know, there's people who are really against paint on a Thai bike. Mm-hmm. Like you see the newest color of a, an anodized aluminum part that you can match all of, like color match all of your stuff to. Like, mm-hmm. I think they get really excited about that, but. Yeah. So you see know, NAB- a show like NABS as being uh, partly, um, you know, maybe as much as a custom bike show, just like a general interest, like fancy parts show. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's totally fine. Like I, I think that, uh, you know, I think that if you were to have a show where you didn't have parts, like if everybody was just showing like frames, yeah. that, like frame and like the parts that they actually built, I think it would, it wouldn't be as interesting. Yeah. You know, it might be more interesting for people who build the frame. Um, yeah, but then it would be a, a small stress, little show. It would be like one of those. Um, there's some. There have been some frame building shows. I, I, I have never been to. I don't know that much about like the what the JP Weigel maybe hosts like the French Fender Day or something. I'm thinking of these things that are more of like a like an insider thing for like you know for the people who build bikes. They get like a meetup or something. I feel like that's what it would turn into if we didn't have you know, beautiful paint jobs and really fancy parts. And, you know, some like some of the booths at a show like NABs are just, you know, bicycle advocacy groups 
and like you know Shimano yeah, and Campy yeah. have the biggest booths there. So I mean, I I think of it as a as a handmade bike show, but certainly a lot of what people are there for and a lot of the people showing work are not even you know really in the custom bike realm at all. No, I mean it's it's I think Mavs is cool. You get to go see like you get to go see your friends, um, and you get to see a bunch of bikes, and and then you get to. Uh, hopefully take a couple of days off after that and not look at any bikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, well, I can only imagine, I mean, for builders, there's a rush leading up to nabs. And I guess if you were bringing bikes and you were either doing the painting yourself or they were like tie bikes that you did all the finish work yourself, then as a builder, you know, you might be working just as busy as someone like you in painting. But yeah, for a painter, like the two months or so, maybe six months leading up to a show like NABS, I mean, that must just be a total nightmare, the amount of hours that you're working. Because everybody, rightfully, I mean, understandably, wants their bikes done on time for the show. But like, yeah, wow. But the the thing with that is like, it all rolls downhill. You know, like I talked to Ollie at Dark Matter and Jordan Lowe and like, you know, just like all the other painters that were there and we all, you know, I got most of, we got most of our bikes before, like way before nabs. Like I had bikes done for nabs wrapped up in boxes, like maybe a month before, Mm -hmm. you know, but then there were bikes that came last minute there, you know, there was like, there was all sorts of stuff. And, uh, you know, you're like working. We didn't have a ton of bikes at nabs this year just because we didn't want to, Mm -hmm. but I mean, somebody like, like Ollie at dark matter, like that guy was swamped. Like he had so many bikes and was like, you know, <laughs> you get tired. Like you mm-hmm. don't want to, I don't know. I just feel like uh, if, if you're ever doing a show and you're a frame builder, like get your stuff done, like before Christmas, mm-hmm. send your stuff, send your stuff, like, uh, send your stuff in December, you know, yeah, like, cause the show is usually late February, early March for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah, get, yeah, you know, really finishing it with a lot of lead time. I mean, you know, that's just such as life. You know, it's always better to be prepared. But I think there's a difference between bringing that upon yourself versus like, you know, your painter is going to want to help you out and they're going to want to try and be there for you, especially if you're a good customer. But like, you put them in a situation, you're running last minute. I mean, nobody wants to deal with that because you know that like somebody else is also asking them probably 10 other people are already. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was, there was two bikes that I didn't bring. Um, but they were my personal bikes, mm-hmm. and I was doing, I was doing some of the craziest stuff that I've ever done. And there was a, you know, it was a new product that we were using. We were doing spray Chrome okay. and it looked like we were doing this crazy etching, like spray Chrome, uh, process. And it was beautiful. And then it didn't stick. Like huh. the, the adhesion level of the, the products that we had bought from this company, they weren't good. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm spraying black metal flake. Uh, and the, I don't know. I had a really cool bike, a really cool layout. A couple of, two of these bikes were getting the spray chrome. And they, they, uh, the paint didn't stick. So I had to scrap those, but, um, that was, that was a bummer, but I mean, it was, it was fine. They didn't need to go. And we had backup bikes. Like we had a, we had a Serata that we had, uh, done like a really nice refinish on. So Mm -hmm. we brought that and, uh, that's, I don't know. It's, uh, like that, 
like we work well under pressure, but we try to not do that to ourselves ever. Yeah. You know, like we also like with our lead times too, like we try to not like push it to the last minute. We want the paint to dry like here. We want to have time to take pictures of it and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we're usually like four to six weeks is our turnaround time. We've kept it with that since we started the business. I mean, it's usually, it's usually sooner, but that's like, we're honest about time. Uh, we just try to be honest about everything. And that's, I don't know. Yeah. Time, time is crucial. Like that's, that's what, uh, that's what everybody's getting paid for is their time. Yeah. Um, we kind of got into this when I was, we were talking about shipping and stuff, but what are the best ways that a frame builder can make their frame painters life easier? Uh, do, do good work. Do like, I think, uh, if you had, if you're a fillet brace type person and you don't fill every one of those like giant pinholes with silver, um, that's kind of a ridiculous thing to expect the painters to do. I mean, we'll do it. But, uh, I mean, a lot of times if you have bigger pinholes, like, especially on the bottom bracket, we've, we've seen it where people had really big pinholes. We had filled them with Bondo because, you know, they didn't want to do it. They didn't want to fill it with silver. And then what happened was oil from the bottom bracket had seeped through those holes. Cause like, you know, it was like a tunnel. So then they had oil coming out of the fillets on their, on their bike. And like, that's, that's not a thing that you want. So like, and that's like a thing that happens further on down the road. So like, if you're, if you're filibrating, fill those holes, like it, it takes very little amount of silver, all those little chunks of silver that fell on the floor, Mm -hmm. like use those in a pair of tweezers and just fill them all. Yeah. You know, drill them out, fill them. That's, yeah. that's pretty crucial. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, when, welders. when I was oh, doing fillet brazing, uh, I, I don't know that I had the best technique in the world, but, you know, I really tried to get it so that I could lay a pretty consistent uh, profile of brass and then also not have porosity. And with the technique I had, I didn't think it was particularly difficult. You know, like if you start with clean material, if you don't cook the joint, um I didn't think it was that hard to not have many pinholes. It was pretty rare that I did have a pinhole. When I did, it was, yeah, usually in the bottom bracket shell where you have a fillet that you already laid and now you have another one coming up to meet it and they overlap. That can be a little bit tricky. And, um, you know, I mean, it's easy to say like, hey, if you're making finished bikes with pinholes, maybe you need to go back to the practice station. But like, maybe you should, you know, like it's, yeah. it's really, it's pretty cheap to do practice. And, um, you know, I, I did a lot of that when I was getting started with TIG welding and with brazing and stuff is like, I didn't have all the tools and I didn't have all the money to put paint, paint and parts on a bike frame, but I did a lot of practice joints. It's like, if you spend like a week or so of your free time, just doing a bunch of practice joints, you can get really good pretty quickly. Like, oh, I, yeah. I don't think yeah. it's that hard. No, and it's, it's funny though. Cause you'll I go around and just rush. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, there's time. Like, I think it's important to remember that there's time to, like, develop your craft. Because, like, when you do level up and you get better at a particular skill, then, like, you just have that. You know, it's, like, not really hard for you anymore. I think if you want to, you know, if you want to see what stuff should look like before paint, follow Brian Chapman on Instagram. Yeah. That guy, like, I don't even know the guy. I just... I just have seen his bikes and they are so clean well, before paint. And that's, you know and what that's that, one that, of the things. He paints them. <laughs> he 
he knows know. how much and of a headache why, it would that's be. That's why he knows to not do like <laughs> sloppy work. He's exactly. like, I want this to look good when I'm done. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, yeah, you can, you can put the thickest primer on and put the thickest paint, but you don't really want thick paint. Like if you have really thick paint, it, uh, it has a chance of like chipping up more. Yeah. Um, and like all paint will chip, whether it's powder coat, paint, whatever, it's Cerakote. But uh, I guess the other thing that, you know, like if you're, if you're building bikes and you're sending them to a painter, like don't ride them raw. Don't let them get super rusty. Dry them. Like when you take it out of your dunk tank, like clean it off and like dry it off, like with a heat gun or hair dryer or torch, whatever, you know, don't don't leave your stuff greasy. Like if you, if you ream your, your seat post and, and like, um, chase and face your bottom bracket and head, head tube and whatnot, like clean the oil off. It's like, yeah, we're obviously going to clean it before we do it. But if, I mean, I've opened up boxes with bikes in them and they're in a bag, like with a bunch of rusty water in there. (laughs) And I mean, yeah, it's not going to break the frame, but it's just, uh, it's a mess. You know, you don't want your frame full of rust. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, anything that you can do to, you know, if you have relationships with the frame painter or, you know, with, you know, maybe you have sales reps for the parts that you put on the bikes, like any, any people that you deal with on a regular basis, obviously with your customers, like any of that stuff that you can do to like maintain, a good relationship like that's obviously going to help you in the long run and uh yes i don't know that's why i wanted to bring that up it's like you know what you know whatever it is that that you can do as a frame builder to make your frame painter's life easier is like only going to come back to help you because they're going to be happy to do business with you and it's just gonna you know it's going to be a more enjoyable relationship all the way around oh the other the other thing is if you have stainless steel parts on it Mm-hmm. Um, polish them or brush them and then let people know like let your painter know that they're yeah. stainless that's always a good one too because the adhesion is different uh no no it's just because sometimes stuff gets painted over that was meant oh, to be gotcha. stayed, yeah, yeah. stainless meant to be left you just gotta let the, yeah yeah and like if it's if it doesn't look finished like if it's a part that's supposed to be finished raw yeah leave it leave it clean before yeah. you send it to the painter and let them know. That's, yeah. I don't know. Those yeah. Like if things. you do stainless lugs, that, that but you leave it, a lot. if you leave your stainless lugs as like rough cast finish, then like, how would you know to, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And then I also wanted to talk about, you know, a couple years ago, I, I don't know the story you were, you were riding a motorcycle with your brother and you hit a deer and because of the crash, you've lost, uh, some of the use of your, is it your right arm? Yeah, I, well, so I was on a I was on a two week trip with my twin brother. We we used to go to Glacier in Montana, and uh, it's like the most beautiful place yeah ever. And so we would ride out there, and this time we rode through Idaho, and um, I don't know, we, it was it was a great trip. Um, but then the last day of the trip, we were in Lake Tahoe, where we're from, and we were riding around the lake with a family friend of ours who's in his seventies and, um, on the opposite side, like we're from the North side and, uh, South Lake Tahoe, we were going to go get lunch at this one, like little diner. And we're, you know, I had, I was riding my, our friend's sport bike for a hot second. And I went like 130 miles an hour and I was like, ah, that's too fast. Like give me my slow old BMW. It was a 
1978 R80/7 for people who care. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, we're going around this corner, and my twin brother and I we had a uh, we had Senna headsets like little uh, radios, and he's like, "Hey, there's this. We we know about all the speed traps." So he's like, "Hey, there's a speed trap up here." And like I yeah, I'd switch back to my original bike, and uh, you know, I'm going around this corner, and he tells me about the speed trap. I'm like, "Oh yeah, I remember." And then, like, right when that happens, this deer jumps into my body, and like, from the right side. Like, I didn't hit the deer. Like, it hit me. Wow. And um, so I went down going 65 miles an hour, and I was wearing, you know, an Arai helmet. I was wearing an arrow stitch, like, uh, nylon Kevlar riding suit, like, looks like a snowsuit, mm-hmm. and gloves and boots, you know, but... um. I slid and I rolled and, uh, I got, I got pretty messed up. And, um, when I, like, I, you know, I was calling for my brother on the headset and then I, he comes back, like, you know, my, our friend who was behind me, uh, he stops and like sees this cloud of dust and comes over to me. And then, uh, you know, I had my brother help me get my jacket off. Cause I was like, Oh my God, what's going on? This sucks. And uh, I had punctured my lung. I had broken my collarbone, my back, my neck. I had broken uh, my leg had like kind of exploded. Wow. And then uh, I broke my arm in 12 different places. And then the kicker, or, like I broke a bunch of ribs too, but the kicker was all the nerves that control my right arm got ripped out of my spinal cord. Jeez. So I pretty much, my arm doesn't work at all really like i i've had a little bit of regrowth it's been uh three years this summer in august and i have a little bit of movement on my brachialis and bicep but other than that my arm doesn't work at all i wear it in a sling i get a lot of crap from people that are just like oh hurt yourself skateboarding it's like or people be like like i went to a bike factory and like first thing some guy says to me is like, Oh wow, that sucks. And I'm just sitting there like, yeah, yeah, it does suck. Like maybe say hi and introduce yourself before you say something stupid. But yeah, you know, like that happened. I was in the hospital for a long time. Um, and all I wanted to do was go to work. We had, we had hired Evan, who's our other painter. He had started helping us out part time. We like, I had never met him and he, he got hired in the, like while I was in the hospital and he started like, you know, making it so we wouldn't go under. Um, Jordan Lowe at Hot Tubes picked up a couple of bikes for us and, like, helped us out. And, you know, we lost a lot of customers. Like, as as soon as they couldn't get their stuff right away, they, they jumped ship. And, like, we had, done, we had done great work for them. And then they just bounced. And uh, a lot of people, a lot of people stayed, though. And a lot of people, like, really wanted us to succeed and like wanted me to get better and and uh i started painting i started painting like a couple of months like after like because i you know i i couldn't walk um you know i had a broken back everything was really messed up and so i started airbrushing at home i was just like i was like oh cool now i can't play guitar i can't ride bikes anymore i like i can't do any of the things that i love And so I started airbrushing at home and just like with acrylics. And then uh, like at first I started uh, airbrushing these coloring books from the paint store, like all these like silly cartoon hot rods. 
I was just airbrushing them. Mm-hmm. And then I started, uh, I started airbrushing, uh, miniatures, like little, uh, for this game infinity, like kind of like Warhammer type, just nerdy stuff. Yeah. And I started like painting and airbrushing those. Um, and then I, I started playing magic cards. I was just like, I need something to do. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm airbrushing, I'm airbrushing little minis and I'm playing magic cards. And like, I, I'm like, I'm not doing the stuff that I really want to do, but I ended up liking those things. And then I started painting bikes again. And, uh, I don't even remember one of the first things that I painted when I was back was maybe, I think it was some forks for Eigelhart. I painted like, uh, I airbrushed some lightning forks for, uh, Eigelhart and that, that felt really good to like do something, you know, mm-hmm. cause nothing like being a person who really likes going to work. Like I love my job, you know, yeah. like I have my dream job. And so, you know, I go to work and I could only be there for a couple of hours cause I couldn't walk, you know, like I had to walk with a cane and then I only had one arm. So it's like, you've got your cane and you've got one arm and you have to hold it with that one arm. It, it gets wow. really complicated. Um, you know, so I would, I would do that. And then I ended up, kind of doing more design stuff on the computer which is i always did it before but i ended up kind of doing more of it and then you know then like one of the like the we did a bike for like brian uh or um now chris bishop had sent us uh he had sent me a frame right before the accident mm-hmm. and was just like hey i'm sending you this frame like do whatever you want and so you know, my accident happened and I mean, he was really like nice and and patient and was like, Oh wow, this dude got all messed up. Like I'm probably not going to be asking for my bike, but I was able to like call him up and be like, Hey dude, I really want to take this bike to nabs. Like I, I feel like I can do this and do it well. And, um, I did that whole bike by myself. Actually, I think, I think Ben sandblasted it, but everything else was done by me. Like I was, uh, you know, gold leaf and candy and like all this, like really technical, like pain in the butt masking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then, and then we won best finish. And I, I, it, it was like, cool. Like I, I still have, I still have this thing. I still have like this goal that I can, I can get to. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm still paralyzed. Like I can, I still have trouble walking sometimes. Um, I had to have my leg rebroken a year later because they had put it on in the hospital in Reno. They put it on like almost 45 degrees off. Wow. So it's like I had to walk with a cane for about a year and a half. But, uh, you know, the dudes at seven made me a titanium carbon fiber cane. And just like when I got home from Reno, like, uh, you know, almost a month after my accident, you know, I had this cane waiting for me and That's I so like, cool. I, I cried. It was, it was beautiful. Yeah. Um, cause like, you know, you're walking around with a cane and like, you already feel like crap. Cause you're like, you're like, Oh wow. I'm, like I'm having this whole situation where, you know, everything has changed and now I got to walk around with this cane that squeaks. Like this is ridiculous, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. And then, um, yeah, now, and now I don't play guitar. I play drums. So I play drums in a punk band and, uh, it's, it's exciting for me, you know, it's like, I can, I can still be part 
of, of uh, like I can still do things kind of like what I want to do. You know, Chris yeah. Eichelhart's building me a mountain bike. Uh, we've we've got I've got my cyclocross bike set up for riding one handed. Um, you know, like uh, my girlfriend and I have a tandem. I sit on the back. It's awesome. Oh, she so does cool. all the, she does all the steering and I just have to trust her that she's not going <laughs> to slam us into anything. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's different folks who have, um, sort of like different setbacks and limitations to what they can do. And, um, you know, you don't want to grade somebody based on like the most inspirational story you've ever heard that like somebody was able to, you know, despite all this adversity, they, they managed to push on and achieve great things. And it's like, that's not like a fair standard to apply to everyone. Right. But like, uh, it's still like, it's, it's beautiful and like, uh, touching and it it, like, like, it's really, I don't know, it's just exciting, uh, to see people who are, um, you know, succeeding to carry on with what it is that they, they wanted to do after an accident or something. Uh, I don't know. That really speaks I, to me in a way that, I, you know, it's, it's just like you're hearing about the cane. Um, you know, like that's a really special thing. I, I also think like, um, I think that one of the things that's, I mean, I guess the only word I can really think of is like kind of annoying is when uh, people are like, oh man, I've always wanted to do this. And it's like, well, if you don't have like a ton of things setting you back, you should really do it. Like I bet a lot of people are listening to this being like, oh, wow, I really wish I could build frames. And it's like, you know what? Like you really can. Yeah. And like it's uh, it's I can tell you that building frames is a lot easier than than painting them. Yeah. Um you know, I mean, it depends on what level you're doing it at, you know. Yeah, but, well, I mean, the beginner like, making, like, a simple lugged road bike frame or something, like, that's not particularly difficult to do. It's hard to do it as well as, um, you know, like a master of the craft, but it's not that hard to do. No, but the the thing is, it's like, I I had, like, you know, always been interested in, in bike building, and I, like, uh, I remember, you know we didn't, we didn't have a lot of like, we didn't have any custom frame builders in Santa Barbara and like back in, in uh, Tahoe where I'm from, like we didn't we didn't have any either. So in Santa Barbara, you had, uh, you know, like after a while, like, you know, Stinner was building and I knew him, but other than that, there was, there was nobody, there was uh, a guy called, called himself, his, his frames were called Daniels. I ended up getting one of those and I wrote it for a while. And then uh, I think, Kish was in San Luis Obispo, but there wasn't really anybody in in LA for a long time. Um, but I was living in Portland in 2009, and I went, you know, I kept seeing like Ira Ryan frames at races, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh wow, like obviously he's got a really cool font, and then uh, <laughs> his frames look really nice too. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, oh man, these are these are cool. And then like I went to I went to. Uh, Oregon manifest and the hand built builders ball. And then I had to move back to California for work. But, um, you know, that was like one of the first times that I had seen like, and like kind of realized like, Oh, these are, these are like normal people that can build frames. Like you don't have to be like a company. And like, I guess it didn't, it just didn't really, uh, it didn't really register that that was something I could do for a while. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that if you want to do something, do it. Like, if you want to play guitar, play guitar. Like, just pick it up. Like, 
mm-hmm. you can start at like a, a low level with just about anything you want to, you want to build frames. Like yeah. it used to be where you had to like go hassle some old timer and be like, yo, let me sweep, let me sweep your floors. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. and do that. And it's, it's, that's not really like a thing that you can do that much anymore. I tried, like I, yeah, me too. I had to hit up like lighthouse cycles and like Kish and like all, all the different people around where I was in Santa Barbara. And they're like, dude, go to, go to UBI, take a class at UBI. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. And, um, but it was like kind of one of those things where I was working so much, um, that I really didn't have time to go to UBI. So when I finally was able to like do it and had my class scheduled, I ended up having to do work, which was like, it was the type of work that you cannot turn down because it was prevailing wage, which is like, you know, you are able to make, uh, like $50 an hour. So mm-hmm. you might as well do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like nothing that you can turn down, but, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, every, like, it's really easy for stuff to be learned now. And yeah, well, like I mean, have, I think there's even a guy who has a whole YouTube channel about making bike frames, and I heard there's a podcast yeah, about, would, <laughs> about frame you know, building. I would now. To that. I'd watch that. Yeah, there's uh, you know, and I there's mean, all these different courses you can take, and there's forums, and you know, like I, I, I like a machine oriented process and TIG welding, and like I think titanium is cool, and you know, to start making bikes that are on the caliber of like Firefly or something, that's a huge undertaking. You probably spent ten years getting there, but if you just want to, well, make... I mean, if you talk, if you talk to, if you talk to the welders at Firefly, I mean, they used to weld like they they would have like rafters with like hundreds of bikes and they would just pull, they would all be tacked and they would just pull them down and weld them just all day long. Yeah. Just pull them down and weld them, you know? And I mean that like you get to that level, like essentially suffering for years, <laughs> just like doing, you know, like you talk to Tyler about it. And I mean, that's what he did. Like, what was, I forget if it was like a uh, indie fab, yeah, I think you know, so. just like crank, cranking out bikes and like, you, you look at like, uh, you know, you talk like Chris Eigelhart's building me a frame and we paint, we paint most of his frames. And I mean, I, if you were to try to count how many frames Chris has built or like how many frames that Tyler has built or like some of these guys that have been around, yeah. like, I mean, I, I don't, I can't do that math. Like, yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, but it's easier than ever to get started and to learn. And if you know, if you start in a in a small time hobbies capacity where all you really have is a, a bench of ice, some files, and a torch, you know, you're not going to set any world records for speed and and whatever. But you know, if you like it, then you just kind of keep moving in that direction. And if not, you haven't invested that much time or effort, and you got to learn and try something new. That's always been sort of my attitude: is that like, if other people can do it, I think I can probably figure it out. And um, and usually you're right. You know? Yeah, it's but like, I mean that that comes from like a DIY like kind of punk attitude. Like you come from you come from a same type of background as me, right? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, like you know when when are we wanted to play like we saw bands, we're like, oh wow, I can do that. Yeah. So we started playing music and started playing in bands. Like you saw people playing shows, and you're just like, oh, I want to play shows. So you like go to local community college and book or like a rec center and you book your own show. And like, mm-hmm. you're like, Oh wow. Like all the, all the flyers for these shows look cool. So you're like, Oh cool. I'm going to make my own flyers. And then you, you end up screen printing your own t-shirts. It's like, 
Yep. I don't know. It's just kind of like this, I, this, uh, this attainability that mm-hmm. we, you know, it's, it's there. Like, yeah. Like you, it. you had mentioned, you noticed Ira Ryan's typeface on, on his bikes and, um, but you know, you never, what, you don't have a degree in graphic design, do you? <laughs> No, no. Yeah, you I just have, you're like a, a nerd about it. You you think it's interesting, yeah. and so you like study it from the outside. You figure it out, and you're obviously capable of making very beautiful things. You know, you have a very good artistic sense about it. And I think uh, some people have this sort of gatekeeper mentality, like you know, if, if I'm willing to like pay the money and go through the motions of taking the class, and then I get like certified or I get a degree or something, then maybe I will be qualified. And I feel like that's just like one small step of the process. And sometimes it's worth paying for and it's really helpful, but like not, not always necessarily. But anyway, uh, I think there's like a different attitude, which is that like, you know, other people figured it out and they did it. And like, I can probably do it too. Let me see what resources there are and let me get to work. Like people, uh, you know, people always ask me and they're like, oh, like, what do you, what do you think I should do? Like, how, how would you start building frame? Like if I could go back and do it again, I'd be like, like I took a small TIG welding class and like, they also taught me how to braze too. Mm-hmm. But, and I was a terrible TIG welder. Like I, my, my TIG welds look like trash, you know? I mean, they're strong enough, but they're not, they're not pretty. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, if people will ask me now, like, Oh, what would you do? I'd be like, you know what? I would go get, I would go to a community college, which are pretty like you got a community college pretty much anywhere where you're going to live. Yep. Go take, go take the welding classes. And like, we get people all the time. be like, Hey, I want to be a painter like you. What should I do? I'm like, take a class. Go <laughs> yeah. to the, like, we've had people be like, Hey, we want to work for black magic. Like when we were still hiring, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, cool. Do you have any experience? They're like, no. I'm like, okay. Are you willing to go take like, like automotive, like painting one, two, and like, uh, take any, like any advanced courses that you can. And they're like, no, I'm like, well, cool. I'm not going to sit there and waste yeah. my time teaching you how to do this. Like yeah, if, I've got one arm, like I'm not going to sit, I'm not, I'm a terrible teacher. Mm-hmm. Like, well, how do you want me to show this to you? You know, like it's so, I think if you want something like go, go look at the classes and if you don't have the money for it, like save up, see if you can get uh funding. There's so much funding out there right now that like you can, you can search for like there's a lot of uh you know yeah there's a there's options you just have to be willing to put in the time put in the work and like mm-hmm. uh you know don't don't if if you're thinking about painting your own stuff like i'm not saying don't i'm just saying don't blow yourself up don't breathe this stuff like the, the isocyanates in paint and clear and the primers will kill you I know so many people who have had cancer and have died, like people that I like, people that I care about, people that I worked with, and you don't want to expose yourself to this stuff. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, you can go spray bike your stuff, but wear a respirator. Like anything that's going to float in the air, come out of a spray can, any of that stuff, wear a respirator. Don't be a slouch. Like if if you're filing fillets, wear a respirator like not a necessarily respirator but like wear a dust mask at least yeah like a lot of the filler rod that you buy at the welding place has lead in it like don't i don't know it's it's just kind of one of these things where uh i wish that more people would would tell us like you know i was never really told about like how important it is to protect your eyes um like with paint you know like just from the fumes 
Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'm at NABS a couple of years ago, and I, I forget, it was either Noah or Suzanne from Color clowned me about it. They're like, oh, wow, you wear a half mask when you spray clear? And I had never really thought about it. And then after that, I wear a, ha- I wear a full mask. I wear, fully, I wear a full suit, fully covered up, gloves, like hood, yeah. everything. Every time I spray that stuff. And, uh, you, you know, I feel a lot better, but... I just see people doing really stupid things with, with paint and, um, yeah, I think that's a good disclaimer to put because paint especially is, it's especially nasty stuff. And and so like, if you are going to have that DIY mentality, just like don't snooze on the, on the personal safety. Yeah. And I mean, you got to dispose of your stuff properly. You got to, there's, there's a lot to it. And I, uh, I mean, obviously I'm going to say, send your stuff to us. But like, there's other, there's other painters and like, there's, uh, it's, it's a really hazardous, risky thing that it's probably best to send to somebody who has the equipment to do it safely and who knows what they're doing. Cause also this stuff can uh, ignite and, um, yeah. catch fire. Like if you're doing it with box fans and those fans are sparking, um, yeah, yeah, yeah you'll, you can catch on fire if you're doing it inside of a bunch of uh, mylar, like uh, plastic sheeting, if that's, if you get stuck in there and that stuff ignites, um, I don't know, you're going to be pretty sad. And it's better to uh, have somebody else do it than to be in the burn wards. So I don't yeah. know. That's, that's just my like kind of thought on it. And like I've, I've painted in some sketchy, stupid booths and I, I regret it. Like I, I wish, you know, spraying, spraying in a legit booth with like good, good cross draft or down draft. And, mm-hmm. and also it makes a lot cleaner work, mm-hmm. you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had uh, two, two jobs that I did in the last five years where I was working with cabinet makers doing some spray finishing and I, it wasn't particularly difficult stuff and I wasn't particularly good at like inside corners. And, uh, and because of that, I thought maybe I could paint bikes and it was like, it just seemed like way too much struggle. And so I didn't want to bother trying to learn how to paint bikes. But uh, anyway, the the one shop that I worked at for like two weeks, it was just, it was like a death trap. Like if, if anything ever did catch on fire, there was one path to exit, which was kind of blocked. There wasn't the best, you know, it's just like really not very safe. And so you hope for the best, but like, that's not good enough. You know, like I'm not going to do this for like, you know, $16 an hour or whatever it was. To, to put myself in harm's way like it's just i'm not doing that you know like i i did it for like two weeks yeah. and i said it's not going to work out man like i i appreciate that you've done a lot of paint and i could learn from you and i think you make beautiful stuff but it's just not the right fit and i think it's good to know your own your own worth and your own safety. don't be one of those people who who's making jokes about osha as like a as a way to pretend that your safety isn't important or something like yeah that's just like an ignorant yeah. thing like i i don't know we you know, we're always trying to like make everything better for like everybody working in the company. Like, yeah. you know, if people are like, Oh, why are you expensive? It's like, well, we all have health insurance and we're, you know, with like, we are trying to be healthy, do good stuff, not destroy the planet as much as possible. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're trying to do the best work we possibly can, you know, but we're also saving up to get, a new air compressor and a, and a breathing system. So we'll all have like fresh air hood yeah. for, uh, for spraying and, and, uh, you know, forced air for when we're, when we're sanding and stuff like it, but that, 
you know, that's going to cost us like seven to 10 grand to get that together. Yeah. And it's uh, like the cost for operating a like a spray booth. It's expensive and the paint is expensive too. Yeah. You know, like uh, we, I, I forget. It was like recently we bought like, maybe it was like a couple of ounces of stuff and it's like, you know, 200 bucks. Yeah. Like we did a, we did a table, like a night, we do a lot of like furniture and like, we even got an espresso machine yesterday. Oh, cool. But, um, we just like this paint, it was, it was something like, I think for all the paint for just a nightstand, it was $800. Wow. And that was, that was less than 10 ounces. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, a lot of this paint, like a lot of the pretty stuff that you see, like, uh, you know, when people are like all, all fired up about chameleon paint, mm-hmm. the good stuff that costs like $500 for something like four ounces of it, you know, yeah. or no, it's six ounces. Yeah. It's six ounces. It's 500 bucks. Yeah. You know, the, like if, if your painter is using like cheap stuff, like, like Omni and like cheap clears, like thin clears, uh, that isn't like the, I don't know. I've sprayed some stuff that you could only like the clears that you get in California are awful. And, um, I hate spraying that stuff. It's like spraying water yeah. and it, it's not strong. And like, you look at the, you look at those paint jobs and they fall apart, but <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's ways to get around it, but yeah, it just involves doing it like clear coating it more than you would normally need to. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's helping the environment and uh, like, that's great. But yeah. it's also kind of one of those things where if you have to, if, if you can do it where you can clear coat a bike once, as opposed to sanding it and clear coating it three times to get that same amount yeah. of finish. It's uh, it kind of seems counterproductive, but yeah. I'm not an expert mm-hmm. in, in that realm. So yeah. I just know that we're happy with the, the materials that we use. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember when you were sending me teaser pictures of the bike that you painted, I was noticing how glassy smooth it was, or maybe you pointed that out. And I think I said to you, I said, if it's not glassy, it's assy. <laughs> oh, that's such a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I, uh, I think that's a good place to, to wrap up the, the call. Um, is um, Yeah. I mean, like when you send stuff out the door, uh, you know, you want it to look good and that's clear and I, it's clear, right? No pun intended. Um, I don't yeah. know. I, I appreciate the work you do. I think it looks really sharp and I think y- you and other painters like you in the industry really provide uh, a tremendous service because for anyone trying to make a beautiful showpiece of a bike, if they had to do their own paint work, it would take years of practice and experience to develop to the level that you guys can do for, you know, honestly, a pretty reasonable price. I think there's a sticker shock when people hear about how much, uh, you know, like a show worthy paint job costs. But if you think about the amount of skill that goes into being able to do that, the like design sense. Um, and then also just, you know, the amount of labor and material cost that goes into preparing and painting successfully a frame. I think it's actually not a bad deal at all. I think it's a pretty shocking value, uh, you know, for some of those show bikes, the way that, um, you know, if you're a good builder and you're trying to break through and make impressions on customers, I think it's just, you know, it's kind of how you do that at trade shows. And so, um, I don't know. Anyway, I think it's a, it's an appropriate, um, term, you know, a good saying, if it's not glassy, it's assy. Yeah. Unless you it's know, a matte like, finish. You like stuff to be, 
we like it to be crisp. We like, you know, we also, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of times, you know, if we get, if we get a bike and when we're done clearing it, um, you know, there's a little bit of orange peel or something like that, or little dust nibs, Yeah. you know, we buff all that out. Like our, our finish, our finish is we're trying to make every bike show quality and it's, you know, it's a lot of work, you yeah. know, like there's some bikes where we'll, uh, you know, we'll go, we'll go through it, just have to buff, buff a good portion of it because it's not worth it to sand it all and put another layer of clear on there. Um, I don't know. There's, there's every bike is different. And because we're not painting like, uh, production stuff anymore because like both Evan and I come from production backgrounds he's the other painter you know mm-hmm. he worked at Speedwagon for years I worked at you know I worked at Parley and then I worked at and you know I did some key cow stuff and then I also worked at Cielo um, you know it's doing production stuff where you're painting the exact same bike every time it gets it gets kind of like it gets easier but yeah. with us every bike's different so it's, it's harder but I don't know. I I think the the buffing and polishing is a really important step, and uh, I don't know. We're really focused on trying to have everything be perfect. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I think we should wrap up the call. But thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show. And um, yeah, for anyone who's not familiar with uh, with Rudy and the guys at Black Magic, you should definitely uh, follow them on Instagram and. Um, uh, you know, say hi at the shows because they're they're doing beautiful work and they're great guys to work with. Uh, maybe if we do the show for uh, a couple of years, I'll I'll uh, have you back on again at some point. Circle back and see uh, see what kind of growth your business has had. Cool, awesome. Well, yeah. I'll talk. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks yeah, for having soon. me. Yep. Bye. Bye. And th- and then you can put a Black Magic commercial at the end. Be like. Be like, what's up, all you bike builders and bike enthusiasts? You want your bike to not look like shit? Send it to us. Email us at info at blackmagicpaint.com.